Thanks for tuning in to our Neighborhood Church podcast. Join us on Sunday at any of our locations. To learn more about our church, visit neighborhoodchurch.com or download our church app. It's, it's, good, it's good to see a church where people love each other and they want to talk to each other. They actually want to talk to each other. <laughs> and that's wonderful. Praise the Lord. Uh, my name is Bob Vroon. Robert Vroon, whichever you like, and uh, I'm a, a retired pastor, 35 years of full-time ministry, three years of part-time ministry, and uh, I was in, in Pennsylvania. Lorena talked about Pennsylvania. You know, I, we spent most of our ministry years, my wife and I, in Pennsylvania, and uh, it is a beautiful state. And uh, whenever I go back there, I'm amazed at how lush the greenery is. Of course, that's because it's always humid and always raining. <laughs> so that's the other side of it. <clears throat> but it's wonderful to be here in Southern California. This morning, uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 12 to 27, uh, is our passage this morning that I was assigned, and that should appear sometime. I think, is that appearing? That's appearing. And so uh, I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation, and if you want to read it in your own Bible as I do that, that's great. So starting at verse 12, he said, Jesus, that's Jesus said, a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together 10 of his servants and divided among them 10 pounds of silver, saying, invest this for me while I'm gone. But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we do not want him to be our king. After he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money he wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made ten times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You're a good servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted to you. So you will be governor of ten cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you're a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit the money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then turning to the other standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. But master, they said, he already has 10 pounds. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. 
And as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right in front of me. Let's take a moment and bow our heads for prayer. <clears throat> Father, we, we thank you for this opportunity to be together and to worship you and to offer up our prayers to you and now to read your word and to hear a message on it. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will move through this or it is all in vain. But we pray that your Spirit will indeed move through this that we will hear what you are saying to each one of us individually this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, we started at verse 12, but we need to take note of verse 11 before we move on here. Because in verse 11, we're told that Jesus, basically, this says Jesus was heading into Jerusalem. Some people thought that this meant that the kingdom of God would come now in all its fullness. Well, they were right in thinking that something big was about to happen and that God was about to act for the salvation of his people. But their ideas about the details, well, they were mistaken. But that's another story. So Jesus told them a parable. And the thing that we should note before we get into this parable is that this parable is all about Jesus. It really is. Jesus is the king in the parable. See? He's the Messiah of Israel. But he would be rejected by the leaders of the people and by many of the people as well. He would go away through his death to receive his kingdom. And then he would return someday to rule in person and to judge the world. And that's what we call the second coming. But in the meantime, he would leave resources with his followers so that they could continue his ministry until he comes again. So with that in mind, let's look at the parable and see what it means for us. The nobleman who will become the king is about to go on a journey. And he calls together his servants and gives them each a pound of silver to invest for him while he's gone. It sounds like a lot, actually, a pound of silver. I don't know what that would be worth today. Um, but it wasn't a lot of money for them back then. Well, one commentator said it's about 100 days wages for a laborer. So... That's not a huge amount. It's not like you just hit the multi-million dollar lottery, okay? But on the other hand, it wasn't small either. It, you might say in today's money, maybe $10,000. It's not nothing. Now, when he comes back, he calls in these servants to give an accounting to him for what they did with that money. One servant earned ten times the original amount, and yet another five times the original amount. They are both commended, equally commended, and are entrusted with greater responsibility. And interesting that that's the reward. <laughs> you know, that, all right, you did a good job, now you get to do more. <laughs> you know, you, you thought that he was going to say, hey, you can go sit on a tropical island and do nothing and sip whatevers, you know. <laughs> no. No, they are trusted with more responsibilities. 
But now, a third person failed to invest the money at all. He earned absolutely nothing on the money. <clears throat> and so the king orders that money be taken away from him and given to the guy who did the best job of investing. Now, that sounds a little bit harsh at first, but now I just want to ask you, if it were your money, who would you give it to to invest? <laughs> right? The guy that made 10 times, the guy that made five times, or the guy that made nothing. Ah, now you understand, right? So let's go back and think about what all this means for us. Jesus is the king who has gone to be with our Father in heaven after dying for our sins and rising from the dead, and, and uh, then he ascended into heaven, he's been with the Lord. And he has left us with resources to be invested in his kingdom. What kind of resources? Well, he has given us spiritual gifts, according to 1 Corinthians, right? He has given us natural talents, he has given us time and money and opportunities for ministry, and on and on it goes. It would be fair to say that this silver stands for everything that God has given us to use for his glory. And someday, Jesus is going to return, and we are going to have to give an accounting for what we did. How we use these things. If we trust in the Lord and we have sympathy with his cause, we will invest in the work of the kingdom of God. It has been said that faith is confidence in the goodness of God. So, you know, you look at this guy, you know, that, that did not invest. Does it sound like he had confidence in the goodness of the king? Not at all. Very much to the contrary. So you see, if we lack faith, we might see work for God as a joyless duty and a drudgery and something we'd rather avoid if possible. Let someone else do it. And then we won't do it. The king calls the servant who failed to work for him wicked. That's one way he describes him. And unfaithful is the other way and he takes away the few resources he has and gives it to someone else. So the principle seems to be, use it or lose it, right? Use it or lose it. We have heard that saying used in regard to exercise many times in our society. <clears throat> use your muscles <clears throat> or you'll lose them. Some time ago, I read an article by a doctor I think it was in the AARP magazine, uh, where he said, when you get past 50, you really need to do exercise. You need to do strength training, because otherwise your muscles will turn to flap a little more every year, and then you will have back problems maybe, and mobility problems, and this and that, and on and on he went, you know, doctors, they, they, all that stuff, right? And uh, so we need to do moderate strength training. Nothing, nothing fancy, he pointed out. This isn't, you're not trying to become Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? 
<laughs> you're just trying not to completely lose all your muscle and therefore all your mobility and therefore your quality of life. <clears throat> when I was a full-time pastor, I spent some time visiting people in, in the uh, nursing homes. And uh, many of them were involved in exercise. I was very pleased to see that. They would do swimming, they would do walking, they would do strength training and, and, and other things. Stretching and, and, and on and on it goes. Personally, I do all three of these exercises. Swimming, walking, and strength training. I do those all now. Do I enjoy them? Um, well, I enjoy the walks, you know, in a beautiful California sun. Why not? It's usually almost every day is sunny and beautiful. Nice temperature, nice light breezes, all that kind of good stuff. Hey, why not? I, I love walking. One day at the swimming pool, someone asked me if I enjoy swimming laps as I was getting out from swimming. And I thought about it a second and I said, I enjoy it when I'm done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, some things in life are fun, like walking in a beautiful place. Some things like swimming laps, well, it's okay. I don't hate it, but I wouldn't do it if it weren't good for me, to be honest with you, okay? And so some things are really a discipline, but still very worthwhile. Use it or lose it. That's the principle. It applies to exercise, <clears throat> and it also applies to Christian service, where we use our spiritual gifts and natural talents and all that stuff. If we fail to use them for the advancing of the kingdom, what does that say about our faith? And then what happens? What happens is we lose those gifts and we weaken our faith. Okay? One of the great things about serving the Lord, parenthetically, is it strengthens our faith. You know, you get into serving the Lord, and I find when you're in over your head, and you usually are, <laughs> you know, you, you, you just suddenly get on your knees a whole lot more, and you pray a whole lot more, and your prayer life gets exponentially better. Yeah. So... Many people think that the Christian life is all about not doing the worst things. You know, getting rid of the grosser sins in your life, okay? Uh, when we come to the Lord, we may have some of those grosser sins in our life. When I came to the Lord, I was an addict. And, uh, and I got rid of that with the Lord's help. Praise the Lord. But we think sometimes that, that, you know, the Christian life is just all about getting rid of all those bad things, those worst things in our life, all while we pursue our own little selfish agenda. Hmm. Our chief aims in life might be to be wealthy, to be respected, to be good-looking, to be successful, to be loved, to be recognized, all that kind of stuff. And, oh, and to, to have some fun along the way, all right? 
Now, these things are not necessarily bad things. <clears throat> They're just not worth centering our whole life around. That's all. They're not worth living for. We need to live for something, some cause beyond ourselves, something that really matters. And that's what gives us meaning and joy in life. As Christians, our calling is to continue the ministry of Jesus. The kingdom of God is our business, okay? It's not that we own it. No, no, God owns it. But we're privileged. We are privileged to be a part of this business. By God's grace, we are welcomed into it, into this business that God owns and that cannot fail. We are invited to invest ourselves and all that we are and have in this enterprise. All right, that sounds very good. But now there may be some here who at some time got involved in some kind of Christian ministry and they were burned. Uh-oh. Why do you even bring this up, man? You're weakening your case. Well, man, we've got to keep it real. Okay? we got to keep it real. Christian ministry can be messy and frustrating sometimes. Yes. Yes, indeed. One missionary I know and who grew up in my hometown said this, where two or three are gathered in his name, sooner or later there will be a mess. <laughs> As George Verwer of Operation Mobilization, who spent 60 years in ministry, and he saw it all. <laughs> uh, I spent 35, and that's enough to already see it all. <laughs> Now, now, why would that be, though? Why would there, there be messes, right? Well, because we're still sinners. Hopefully, we are all growing in the love of Jesus. And, you know, as I've ministered with people, most of them, I see them growing in the love of Jesus. But we haven't arrived yet. Not yet. And let's be honest. In this life, we're not ever going to arrive. We're not going to get there yet. We still have the old nature in us. And so there will be messes. These messes can sometimes be discouraging. And some people drop out of church, and I don't mean, I mean church capital C, okay? Because I'm, you know, people sometimes leave one church, they go to another. Well, that may or may not be a good thing. But what's really a bad thing is when they leave this, the church, capital C, and just say, forget it, they're all bad, they're all, these people are all hypocrites, and, you know, and of course the answer is, well, we can always use one more. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, but uh, when, when we're tempted to just give up on the church, we need to realize I am part of the problem. That helps to realize that. It's not, just, it's not just those people out there. It's me. It's me too. I haven't been perfected yet. I'm on my way, but I'm not there. 
And so you see, if we are depending on all of our great natural talents and our spiritual gifts and our human abilities and on all of us being perfectly loving all of the time, we're going to get disillusioned. We must always remember we are not in heaven yet. Okay? Now, that's the bad part of it, right? Now I want to talk about the good side of it. The good news. The good news is that if we are really depending on God, if we are praying down the power of the Holy Spirit, which is absolutely necessary for our ministry, God is going to show up every time. Great things are going to happen despite the messes. And even in the midst of them sometimes, God still is using his church to do great things by his power all over the world. And sometimes listen to what these missionaries come and tell us about when they come on, the, on that mission Sunday or whenever because the stuff that they'll tell us about, what God is doing in other places in the world, will certainly encourage us. So, do you want to be used by God or not? If you do, get involved in Christian ministry through the church. Our church has so many good ministry opportunities. Now, you know, I think I'm just going gonna, gonna to take the connections right now. Do you have two hours? Because <laughs> I'm going to read through it a little bit and just tell you about, oh, here's this one, and here's this ministry, and here's that one. Oh, my goodness, there's wonderful ministries going on through this church, you know, and being supported by this church in other places. This is great. Right here in, in our church, Sunday school, there's a great opportunity to be involved. Music ministries, support groups, community ministries, mission trips, recovery ministries, and on and on it goes. And then there are also good ministries that are run by parachurch groups in our community that you could be involved in. And then there's the fact that you could just start your own ministry of some kind, right, as God is leading you. Or you might focus very heavily on informal ministries to neighbors. That's good. There are so many opportunities for Christian service. So invest in the kingdom of God. It's the only cause that will last for all eternity. Now, there's one more thing I want to talk about here by way of application. Jesus is talking about all this in the context of his second coming. That may not be obvious right away on the surface of it to you, but you look at it. Just look at it. He's talking about the second coming. Okay? When he talks about this accounting, that's when it's going to happen. Now, some people, when they think about or talk about the second coming of Jesus, they just want to dive into all those eschatological controversies that they know about. You know? Are you pre-trib or post-trib? 
or mid-trib? How about pre-mill or post-mill or ah-mill? Let's fight about it. <laughs> Some people have done that. And they even split up churches over it. For real? Yeah, for real. But you know what? Scripture passages on the second coming are not given to us for the purpose of intellectual theological debates. That isn't their purpose. And that's not their point. Nor are they given to us for our amusement. Sometimes I hear people talking about it and I think, well, this is like an amusement for these people, you know? This is like, like a sport. Like they, they watch this stuff like I watch football on television. They are not given to us either as a crystal ball or as a Christian form of horoscope. <clears throat> Instead, these passages point to what we should be doing now to prepare for the second coming whenever he comes. And his coming, you know, despite the fact that some people got it all figured out, his coming could be right now, or it could be a hundred years from now, or anything in between, or anything beyond. We don't know for sure, but we know it could be at any time, so we better be ready. Okay? These passages on the second coming serve us as a reminder that we will have to give an accounting to Jesus in person for our life and service here on earth. He's going to talk to us about, hey, I gave you this and this and this and this. What'd you do with it? Okay? Now, as the great pastor and writer A.W. Tozer once put it, I cannot think of even one lonely passage in the New Testament which speaks of Christ's coming that is not directly linked with moral conduct, faith, and spiritual holiness. Wow, that says it. So, what do you want to be found doing when Jesus comes again? Now, I used, to, I used to worry about that when I was young. I used to think, what if he comes and I'm sound asleep? <laughs> you know, I'm sleeping on the job, man. You know, well, what do you want? It's three in the morning. You know, he should have come at five in the afternoon, all right? <laughs> but he comes when he comes. <laughs> but here, th th this isn't really the point, see? I, just, I also worry, you know, what if he comes at just the moment that I'm watching a football game and I just made a harsh, little bit nasty remark about the referee? <laughs> that lousy call that he just made against my team. Well, all that kind of thinking, you see, uh, misses the point. It isn't what you're doing at that very second that counts. The point is, what will be the basic pattern of your life when Jesus comes again? See, that's why there's the one parable. Remember that parable about the, the girls, the bridesmaids and all? And, and, and they have to go get the oil because they ran out, see? And, and they can't. It's no, they don't have time. It's too late. 
Why, why would Jesus tell a parable like that? What's, what's the point of it being too late? The point is, it's the pattern of life that you're living is what matters. It's, you won't have time to fix it in three seconds. When you realize that Jesus just came again. Jesus, hold it off a minute, man. I, I got to go fix up my life. No deal. Can't do. He's come. That's it. It's over. No more chance to wrap up your, what you should have taken care of, right? So what kind of life will he find you living? Will he find you all wrapped up in your own selfish agenda? And hey, we do tend that way, don't we? I mean, that's just kind of, that's normal. Or will he find that your life is a life of servanthood? Will you be found being faithful to the call of Christ? Will you be found being invested in the kingdom? You will have to give an accounting for what you did with what he gave you. And the question is, are you ready? Now, I'd have to say, if you look at yourself and you say, I'm not ready, okay, there may be, though I don't know this for sure, but there just may be some time to make some changes. Go for it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of serving you because that's what it really is. We have the privilege of being part of your business, the kingdom of God, which lasts for all eternity. And yes, it is a joy to serve you, though it's, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes there's, a, there's some real self-discipline involved, but we still it's still a joy. It's still the most wonderful thing in this world, the most meaningful thing. Lord, we thank you for that opportunity, and we pray that you'll help us to reassess our lives and to be involved in the ways that you want us to be involved. We know there's a limit, of course. We only have so many hours in a day, and some people are working long work weeks and all the rest of that. But Lord, lead and guide us. Help us to see what you want us to do, and then help us to do it joyfully, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we know you're going to be there. You'll come through, and great things will happen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.